you guys pray with me right now? And I'm going to invite you in this moment just to pause and whatever that thing is that has been your heart cry. Maybe there's a situation you're facing that's relational. Maybe there's something financial. Uh, Maybe there's just something that you're questioning God about. Um, Maybe there's some particular challenge you're having at work or in your house, whatever it is. I I want to encourage you right now to give that thing, whatever it is, give it a name, give it a face, give it an identity, call it out right now, and then would you just in this moment say, Lord, I surrender this, whatever it is, to you. Lord, I pray that you would put inside of us the faith to relinquish control. The situations, the scenarios that are spinning us out of control, that have taken uh, taken our emotions on a roller coaster. Lord, the things that we're trying to white-knuckle our way through and just try to force our way through them, Lord, we surrender those things to you. And I ask for whatever we've prayed for tonight, whatever we've offered, you've heard all of these things. Lord, I pray that you would begin to move and work in those areas. And would you also work in our freedom? Would you free us? Would you relieve us of the pressure? Would you take away the anxiety, the worries, the what-ifs? And Lord, would we be people who could just trust you because we surrender everything to you? Lord, even now I pray that you would take this message, I pray that you would take your word tonight, and I pray that you would use it for your will. This wouldn't be something that I do, words that come out of my mouth, but Lord, let these be your words for us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. As you're grabbing a seat, um, we're going to dive into this uh, final week in our Shema series. Uh, Next week, we're going to begin a new series, and um, next week, we are going to start a 19-week series in the book of Leviticus, and I know what you're thinking. Did he just say Leviticus? And uh, the answer is yes. I said Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is actually one of my my most favorite books in all of the Bible. Uh, I love the book of Leviticus, and so I get really excited about talking about it. Um, but I think most of you know uh, Leviticus is the place where Bible reading plans go to die, right? Like anybody that's ever like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year, they get to Leviticus and they're like, I don't think I'm going to read the Bible at all anymore for a while, right? So uh, I'm actually really excited about it because I think you get a better sense of the Bible and what God is telling us through the Bible, but I also think we get to know God much better when we study the book of Leviticus. And so that's going to kick off next week. Um, but today we're wrapping up this series called Shema. And, uh, and if you've been with us, I'm going to apologize in advance for the redundancy here, but I do this because every single week uh, there are folks that are joining us for the first time in the room and also online. And so I always want to catch us up on where we are with a few of these things. But for those of you that haven't been with us, um, the word Shema, this idea of Shema, this title of this series, comes from a prayer that has been prayed by the Hebrews for centuries. So every single morning and every single evening, the Hebrews would pray these words as an expression of love, as an expression of devotion towards God. These words are found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it goes like this. If you have a Bible, you can follow along, or you can watch on the screen. It says this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you'll notice the first word here. The word shema is, is the, the word that we translate to the word hear. Hear, O Israel. And as we've spoken of every single week in this series, this is not just simply hearing things. This is actually listening and obeying. The word shema literally means to listen and obey. This is a call. It begins with this call for you and I to lean in and to let God speak. To say, God, I'm listening to you with an obedient sense in my heart where whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. That's how the prayer begins. Which, by the way, uh, I think us leaning in to hear God's voice and to listen to him is a really relevant thing in today's culture. Uh, just the last few weeks, I've been so overwhelmed with all of the voices and all of the sources and all of the people that are talking. And for me, I think the call is probably more relevant than ever for you and I just to tell kind of everybody and everything, just be quiet. Like, turn the volume down because I want to listen to God. Are you with me on this? Like, now's a great time for us to hear, O Israel, right? Really important for us to lean in and to Shema. But then the Shema moves, and it moves into sort of a second part of it, giving us direction and how we are to love, or the Hebrew word is ahava, how we are to love the Lord our God. And as you begin to read this Shema prayer, you'll see that it unfolds in three expressions of love. We're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart then with all of our soul, and then with all of our strength. And, and for the past few weeks, we've been unpacking each one of these, of these three themes. We've been looking at these expressions and saying, well, how does, this, how does this play itself out in my individual life? We've looked at loving God with our heart. We looked at loving God with our soul last week. And now this week, we are going to look at loving God with all of our might or all of our strength. It's translated both of those ways in most English versions. So, so we ask the question, well, what does it look like or what does it mean to love God with all of your might? Answering this question is surprisingly difficult, and it's actually somewhat dangerous as we begin to explore what this means. And maybe you say, well, why is this difficult? It seems fairly straightforward. And secondly, why in the world would this be dangerous? Well, it's difficult because of what the Hebrew word means. And it's important for us to always remember that our English Bible is a translation, the Old Testament from Hebrew, the New Testament from Greek. And because of that, there's a Hebrew word that's used to talk about strength. And, uh, and it's a little confusing when you look at it. But it's also dangerous because if we have the wrong understanding of this, and I mean every sense of the word dangerous, if we have the wrong understanding of what's being said here, and it's not set in its appropriate context, it can lead to some very destructive actions and attitudes on the behalf of good intended people, well-intended people who begin to pursue this in the wrong direction. In fact, you might actually move away from the direction that Jesus wants for you if you don't understand what's being said in these verses. So, even though it's difficult and dangerous, it's also incredibly important. And so I want us to dive into this, and I want to explain these things to you tonight. So, so first, let's unpack the word that gets translated into English as strength or, or, or might. Uh, it's the Hebrew word me'od. So say that one with me. Just say me'od. Me'od. Here's what's interesting about this word me'od. It actually doesn't mean strength. Kind of an interesting problem, right? 
So here we have strength in our Bible, and ma'ad is not strength in the Hebrew language. In fact, it occurs 300 times in the scriptures, and it is almost never interpreted into English as strength. And there's a reason for this. The Hebrew word for strength is not ma'ad. <laughs> there's actually another Hebrew word for strength, and when that word is used in the Bible, it's translated into English as strength. In fact, the Shema prayer is one of the only places in the entire scriptures where ma'ad is translated as strength. So what does this word ma'ad mean, and why would it be translated like this, and then what does that mean for us? Are there implications of this? Those are some of the questions I know you, you must be like dying to have answered right now. What does ma'ad actually mean, right? So first you need to know that unlike the heart that we're supposed to love God with, and unlike the soul that we're supposed to love God with, Mayad is not even a noun. The heart is a noun. The soul is a noun. Mayad is not a noun in the Hebrew language. Mayad is what we call an adverb. It's a word that actually enhances other words. It brings additional emphasis to other words. And in the most common meaning of mayad used in the scriptures, the most common translation is the word very or the word much. So for example... Um, when Cain and Abel have their conflict in the book of Genesis, Cain was mayad, angry with his brother. He was very angry with him. It's an adverb, right? Um, when God evaluates the creation in Genesis chapter 1 and he's looking at his creation, he describes his creation as mayad, good. It is very good. Um, we might use it this way. Chicken sandwiches are good, right? But Chick-fil-A is mayad, good, right? It's like really good chicken sandwich, right? You get the idea of this word mayad. So mayad, now you can see because it's very and it's much, it's actually a really common Hebrew word that's used to intensify the meaning of other words. That's how mayad is typically used. So now let's go back to the Shema for a moment. The writer calls us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, which is our affection and our desire. Then he calls us to love God with all of our soul, which as we said last week is all of our life, all of our physical being, all of our coming and going. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all of your mayad. Love the Lord your God with all of your mayad. And now that you know what mayad means, this sounds really funny, doesn't it? Right? Love the Lord your God with all of your very. What? My very what? Like what do you, it's like he left a word off here, right? In, in fact, how can you really have all of something or how can you love somebody with all of something if that something isn't a something, if it isn't a noun, right? We, we can obviously assume then he wasn't saying to love the Lord your God with all of your very, right? So what, what is the writer of Deuteronomy really saying? Well, what we discover in this is that the, the, the Shema uses this word in a, in a very unique and special sort of way. And let me illustrate what's being communicated in this in sort of a funny way. Maybe I can help this make a little bit more sense. Um, when my girls were little, there were times we would surprise them. And uh, now I surprise them and they just sort of stare at me and they say, come on, Dad, you know. But when my girls were little, we would surprise them with different things. And it didn't matter. Sometimes it was small things, big things, whatever. There were times when my daughters, and I know they're going to deny this, and they're here, and they're probably going to say things after the service, like, Dad, come on. But there were times they would get so excited they would squeal. You know what I'm talking about? How, like, children just squeal? And there were times, literally, they would stand, and they would, you know, you've seen a child that gets so excited, they clench their fists, 
you know, and maybe they shake a little bit. And, and then they, there's these like almost inaudible screeches that come out out of excitement. Sometimes they would run around out of excitement. Do you guys all know what I'm talking about? You've seen children do this, right? My girls would do that, right? I call it speechless ballistic enthusiasm, right? It's just like, oh, they're just like so excited. In fact, if you could somehow bottle that emotion and sell it, you'd be a millionaire, and the label you might put on that sort of like incredible ballistic enthusiasm, the label might say the word mayod on it. That's what we're talking about. There's this very to the word mayod. Uh, it's so hard for us to fully understand the English language, what the writer is trying to say when he uses this. But another way we might say it is this, that we're loving the Lord our God with all of our muchness. Like this enthusiasm, Right? And I know that sounds kind of funny, but now you sort of know what he's talking about here. It also sort of makes sense. The final thing that you love the Lord your God with all of isn't so much a thing as it is an intensity. You love the Lord your God with your muchness. There's this, there's this passion, there's this thing bursting out of you. And by the way, when you start thinking about this now, you go, okay, well, how does that really make sense? Well, you can't have muchness or intensity without having it play out in some physical aspect, some tangible, observable aspect. Um, if I asked for an example of muchness, there would be something observable in you. If I would say, show me your muchness, you would show me some place where you were, you, were, you were exhibiting these sort of intangible enthusiasms around something, this ballistic nature of things, right? You would never look at somebody laying in a lazy boy on a Sunday afternoon, sort of casually watching football and dozing off to sleep and say that that is muchness, right? It would be the opposite of that. Are you with me so far on this? So now we start to understand in English how we get to the words like might or strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your might, all your strength. Now this starts to make a little more sense that we're using this word very, but it's really describing this characteristic, this like passion thing that's going up, this, this tangible expression of mayod in the physical. So it may not be a noun, but you can still see it, right? It may not be a noun, but you still know what it looks like. You can still witness it. You can still observe it. You know if it's there, and you know if it's not there, right? If someone isn't mayod, then you know what that looks like. So this is why the ancient Greek scholars, or Jewish scholars, when they were translating Hebrew uh, into Greek, something we call the Septuagint, when they came to the word mayod in the Shema, they translate it with the Greek word dunamos. Dunamis is the direct word in Greek that's power. In fact, it's the where we get the word uh, dynamite from, right? Dunamis is this idea of something having this force, this explosion, something that bursts out from the center and then reaches to other places. That's the word that they chose. They understood there's this dimension of this word that's captured in, in power. Um, in the Aramaic version of the Hebrew Old Testament, the, the scholars there, they translated the word uh, mayod by using the Aramaic word for wealth. Which is really interesting, right? Not, not the word for money, not talking about cash, but the word for wealth. Well, what does wealth represent, especially in this culture? Well, wealth speaks to capacity. Wealth speaks to your ability. Wealth speaks to this, this opportunity that you might have to do something. So, so that's one way that this is used. Another way that it's understood, another dimension. Um, if you fast forward to the New Testament... Um, when Jesus was asked about the most important commandment in Mark chapter 12, 
he gives us another nuance. Um, Jesus, you know, he's being tested all the time, tested by the Sadducees, tested by the Pharisees, and there's this moment when um, the Sadducees had approached Jesus, and he sort of silenced them, and uh, they were like, well, that didn't go well. And then the Pharisees said, well, it's our turn, and so they kind of gather together, and they go to Jesus, and they ask him this question, like, we're going to stump you. What's the most important commandment? And Jesus, in that moment, when he gives the most important commandment, there's two things I love about this. One is, the first half, he quotes from the Shema, the second half, do you know what book of the Bible he quotes from? Leviticus. <laughs> Who knew, right? See, I'm all, you're already excited about next week, aren't you? So, so we read this. Jesus gets confronted and they ask this question. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And you've heard it before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. But then look what he does. And with all of your mind and all of your strength. And then he quotes Leviticus and says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's in Leviticus 19. And then he says, there's no commandment greater than these. What's so interesting about this is that when Jesus quotes the Shema, Jesus, and I think he's allowed to do this, by the way, he adds the word mind to the sentence, right? He unpacks this with an extra word. He says, love the Lord your God with your mind and your strength, right? So if you, if you hear all of this, if you hear the definition of mayad and you hear the Hebrew definition and then you hear the Greek word that's translated in the Aramaic and then you see Jesus saying this, you might find yourself asking the question, well, what is it? Is it very? Is it strength? Is it wealth? Is it mind? Is it power? Which one is it? And the answer is yes. Right? It's all of them. It's this call to love God with your muchness, with this intensity, this passion, this, this effort. And while it's not a noun, it's still something that we see. You're probably going to know it if someone is loving God with all of their mayad, aren't you? Let me, let me think of it this way. You're going to know it if you are loving God with all of your mayad. You're going to feel it. You're going to see it. You're going to know it. Mayad, dunamis, strength, muchness. When you think about all of these things, all of them point towards, and I know some may argue with this, and some scholars have been in debates about this, but they all point towards effort. All of these things point towards effort, don't they? You think about all those words, all those things, there's something, you're pressing effort against something else, right? Um, so if we back up in the Shema, we see this command being given to love God with all of our affections, right? To see our whole life as an expression of love towards God. And now, the final part of this, it's to love God with your effort, right? So there's this sense of, is your heart set on God? Is your life centered on God? And does the energy of your being move towards God? That's what's being expressed here. There's effort. And while this is beautiful and it's well-rounded and you start to understand this, this last part of this, this idea of it being effort, is actually dangerous. This is where it can be dangerous. And, and this is so important um, that we have to talk about this. Um, I want to be very clear about what I'm saying here and how I'm saying it because it's essential to our faith. Um, when I look at the Shema, I cannot in good conscience land on an interpretation of the word mayad and the shema that simply results in good intentions or fuzzy spiritual feelings towards God. 
I can't get there. I mean, from what we've read, loving God with everything we've got seems to include physical, observable, actionable items. Do you agree with me on this? There's something that should be coming out of your life. There's something we should see. There should be behaviors that we can look at and say, there it is, right? There's a way that things ought to be going in our life. There's a way that we should be living. And I I remember when the first time I realized this about Christianity, I I remember uh, it was early on in my college years, I I thought I was a Christian. Uh, I, I knew who Jesus was. I even believed some of the right things about who Jesus is. But I wasn't really following Jesus. In fact, at best, I had just sort of invited Jesus to join me in whatever I was doing because I had kind of figured out, I kind of thought this, like, I'm going to do my thing, and I have a feeling that if I do my thing and Jesus is a part of my thing, my thing will go better. But I wasn't doing Jesus' thing. Are you with me? I was doing my thing asking Jesus if he wanted to come along for a ride. And I hit a wall, and after I hit a wall, I started asking questions, and I noticed something. I noticed this, that those people who first heard the message of Jesus, they, when they really understood what the Bible was all about and who God is and what the gospel is, I noticed that they make dramatic changes in their lives based on his direction for their lives. That's what I noticed. Like, they quit following their direction for their life, and they began following his direction for their life. That's what I saw. Their lives suddenly took a new shape. Their habits began to change. There were new rhythms that were instituted in their life. There were new ways of carrying themselves in the world they live in, the way they did things. And, and, and here's what's weird about this. When I thought about that, and then I thought about the world we live in today, I was just sort of stunned, and I'm still to this day am stunned about this, that there are millions of people on this earth who call themselves followers of Jesus, but their lives look no different than anyone else's. When we were kids, um, we played follow the leader. Raise your hand if you ever played follow the leader. Pretty easy game to play, right? Figured out pretty young. Leader pats his head, and everyone pats their head. The leader climbs a tree, you climb a tree. Uh, The leader goes under a bridge, you go under a bridge, right? Follow the leader. You know what we've done in recent years? It's like we've said, well... The rules to following Jesus are different than the rules to follow leader. It's kind of what we've done in our world today. Like, we don't actually have to do what Jesus does. We just have to believe it in our hearts. It's kind of what we've done, right? And it, and it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, imagine if you're playing follow the leader, and you're the leader, and you climb a fence. And there's some kid laying in a hammock over here, and he looks at you climb the fence, and he goes... I'm not climbing the fence physically. I'm climbing the fence in my heart. It doesn't look like following the leader, does it? Or or, or how about this? I looked up the Greek translation for climb the fence, and I fully understand all the nuances of the word climb now in ways that you'll never imagine. Or, hey, I invited some friends over, and we talked about what it would be like if someday we climbed the fence. We had a little study on fence climbing. You could do all of those things, right? You could do all that stuff and still never follow the leader. Are you with me on this? And I'm pretty sure that this is what Jesus was getting at in like Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's action, there's activity to this whole thing. There's an obedience to this thing. If you look at James, uh, the, the, the brother of Jesus, he writes to the church in Jerusalem and he openly wrestles with all of this. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
Can such faith save them? This is in the Bible, by the way. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by, what's the word? Action is dead. So it, it is hard, whether you look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, the life of Jesus, the writings of the apostles, it is hard to get away from the idea or the understanding that there is activity and effort that are a part of loving God and following Jesus. You just can't separate the two. And, and it makes sense. It makes total sense. The habits that you and I form, on a very practical level, this is why God does this, because the habits that you and I form and the things that we decide to do, those things are like chisels in the hand of a sculptor that shape our life and who we turn out to be. Let me say that again. The habits that we form and the decisions that we make are like these chisels that shape our life. It sculpts us. So of course our activity matters. Of course what we do, the things we engage in, of course those things matter. But it's dangerous if we think it matters for the wrong reason. Let me explain this. I got an email uh, from a new friend here at B4. Uh, all my friends at B4 are new, by the way, but one of my new friends here at B4. Um, but I got this email from him today, and he wrote this. He said, the tension I struggle with and wonder what you think is about the struggle between human striving for self-improvement and complete submission to God and allowing his carpenter and his contractor, the Holy Spirit, to come in and do the rebuilding in my life. The timing couldn't have been any better. It was early this morning. I quickly wrote him back and I said, this is literally the tension I'm dealing with in writing the message for today. Might and strength as it relates to loving the Lord our God seems to really indicate that we make an effort. I'm a strong believer in healthy habits and how they shape us, but it's the motivation that matters. A hint of earning or striving for favor rather than basking in the grace we've been lavished with taints all of our best efforts. So does our effort matter? Yes. Yes, Mayod is here for a reason. Does, does it matter what we do? Yes, it matters. Absolutely. In fact, I love this quote from Pastor Ron Mel. I know some of you might have heard of him. Um, he wrote this in, in the Tender Commandments. He said, God's original intention was that his word would be the foundation of my life, to stabilize me through life's many storms. Obedience to these commands of God isn't like insanity, where you continually do the same thing and never get any results. Faithful obedience to God is the very pathway to the richest life you could possibly live. And I couldn't agree more. Our actions matter. The habits that you and I have, the things that we practice, the rhythms of every single day, the things we do in the first waking moments of our day, the things we do as we close out our day and crawl into bed at night, everything that we do in between, all of this stuff matters. Our actions matter. Our habits that we're forming, they matter. The, the spiritual disciplines that we lean into, those things matter. But those things, those actions are never, they can never be an attempt to earn God's favor or to earn his love. Whenever we do that, 
whenever we start jumping through hoops or we start behaving a certain way and we're trying to make sure God's happy with us and we feel this sort of obligation, we feel like we're supposed to do these things and we're just sort of guilted and shamed into it, there's, there's a word for that. It's called religiosity. It's called legalism. It's called moralism. And it is lifeless and it's dead. In fact, it's, it's one of the very things that Jesus came to eradicate was religiosity. I want to be really clear. I said this because I don't want this dangerous idea to leak out. Our actions do matter, but we need to know that one of the greatest proclamations of the gospel over your life is that you are unconditionally loved. Your behavior does not alter or change God's love for you. Are you with me on this? Everybody clear? Like we all got this one down, right? And everything that you and I do with all of our mayod, with all of our muchness, is done out of the abundance of knowing that we are already loved. We are already favored. We are already forgiven by our God. So, what does all of this mean? Well, for me, and I encourage this for you, I have started this year by evaluating my habits. I've been evaluating my rhythms. I've been thinking and even talking with my family about the things that I do, the things that I don't do. I'm putting those things under a microscope and I'm asking, what does my mayod, my effort, my power, my intensity say about my love for God? What does all of it say about my love for God? Am I loving God with my muchness? I challenge you to ask that question. I challenge you to wrestle with that. I challenge you to think about the effort of your life and are there things that you're doing, are there things you're engaging in that reflect a passionate love for the God who first loved you? I challenge you to do this because there is a rich life on the other side of loving obedience. Amen? Amen. Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray for us. Jesus, tonight we open up our hearts and our minds, our lives to you to speak to us. And certainly there are things that challenge us in every corner of the scripture. But Lord, I truly believe this thing might challenge us in some fresh new ways. And so I pray that by your spirit, these words would leak into our hearts in a, in a unique way, that we would see things from a fresh perspective, and that our lives would be an expression of love for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me offer this to you. May you be men and women who shema the Lord your God. May you love him with all of your heart, all of your affection. May you love him with all of your soul, all of your life, and may you love him with your muchness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Thanks for being here tonight. Some of you brought friends tonight. Thanks for bringing friends. Those of you 